Welcome to Old Stories of New Suns, a classic sci-fi travelogue. I'm Chris. On this show, we visit real stars in order of increasing distance from Earth, focusing on the way those stars were described in classic science fiction stories. Join me on a journey through old stories about imaginary trips to real places. This time on Old Stories of New Suns, we'll be traveling to Barnard's star, as it was imagined by Jack Williamson in his novel The Legion of Space, serialized in 1934. After leaving the three stars of the Alpha Centauri system, we arrive at Barnard's star, a red dwarf almost six light years from Earth. In our 1G ship, we'll get there in just over four years, although folks on Earth will see us take a bit over seven and a half years to make the trip. The star is named for E.E. E. Barnard, an American astronomer who studied it in the early 20th century. It has the highest proper motion of any star in our sky, moving quickly relative to the background stars, and so it was once referred to as Barnard's runaway star. Although Barnard's star is a red dwarf like Proxima Centauri, it's ten times brighter. It's not bright enough to be seen from Earth with the naked eye, but we can see it without a telescope for about the last five months of our trip. In Jack Williamson's 1934 serialized novel The Legion of Space, Barnard's star has been renamed Yarkand. Williamson describes Yarkand as a red, feeble, dying sun, the closest star to the Earth that has a habitable planet. In the dim light of the star, we can see a single unnamed planet. Many times the size of the Earth, it is a dull, smoky, orange-red Two lines of sapphire lights surround the planet in rings above and below the equator, and rays emanate from each light, weaving a net around the planet. The blue-white net against the ruddy planet is beautiful, but it's deadly. People who have seen it call it the Belt of Peril, and it can disintegrate any ship that passes through. The disintegration isn't instantaneous. If you're moving fast enough, you can get through before dissolving into oblivion. But during the passage, you'll feel intense pain as your nerves start to disintegrate. The members of the first human expedition mostly came back babbling about what Williamson calls eldritch horrors, terrifying monsters that inhabit this dim and dusty world. As they raved madly, their flesh began turning green and flaking off, the result of breathing the planet's toxic atmosphere. There's enough oxygen in the air to keep you alive, but there's also a mysterious red gas that causes the madness and the horrifying skin condition. Most of the planet orbiting Williamson's Yarkand is covered by a vast yellow ocean, where there are huge predatory fish and giant amoebas. Even once you reach the shore of the single continent, the danger isn't past because there's a dense jungle swarming with deadly life forms. Beyond the jungle is a rugged mountain range, then a high plateau crossed with deep canyons. In the heart of the continent lies a river valley, with tributaries feeding a single great river. On top of all those hazards, the nights on Yarkand's planet are deadly cold. If none of that is enough to convince you not to land, the inhabitants of this planet are monstrosities of insensate evil. They're technologically advanced, with highly developed scientific thinking, every bit as intelligent as we are, 
but cold and emotionless, more like robots than living beings. These Medusae, as the first explorers dubbed them, communicate using ether vibrations, and we need specially built machines to translate their speech into sounds we can hear. If you use one of these machines to communicate with them, you'll probably regret it. The sounds produced by the machine are dry, eerie, shrill whisperings that will send a chill up your spine. The Medusae themselves have a pretty unnerving look, even if they're not quite the eldritch horrors the first explorers said they were. They're green, swollen and bulbous, shaped like hot air balloons with purple eyes. Speaking of eyes, they have four, spaced evenly around their circumference. At the bottom of their bodies, they have a fringe of black tentacles. All the Medusae live in a single huge city that's almost as alien as they are. Everything in the city is made of smooth black metal, including a colossal fortress in the middle of town. And there are no streets between the buildings. The Medusae don't need them, since they fly everywhere. You probably don't need any more convincing that we should stay away from Yarkand and its planet. But there's one last thing. The Medusae have amazing weapons, and they're planning to bring them to bear against humans. They want to wipe us out and colonize our solar system, because their star and their planet are both old and dying. They need iron, which doesn't exist on their planet. Before they turn their greedy purple eyes on us, we'll move along to our next destination. Acknowledging that we can't know at this point whether the Medusae really exist. How well did Jack Williamson do at describing Barnard's star? Compared to the other authors we've discussed, he did a pretty good job. First, Williamson describes the star itself as red, feeble, and dying, and two of those adjectives are spot on. Barnard's star is a red dwarf with a surface temperature just above 3,000 Kelvin, so its light would appear quite reddish. As for feeble, it's 2,500 times dimmer than the sun. Dying is another story, though. Barnard's star is about 10 billion years old, twice as old as the sun, and about the age we expect the sun to reach at the end of its life. But we shouldn't assume that all stars of that age are dying. Red dwarf stars in particular have extremely long lives. Barnard's star is predicted to live for over 3 trillion years, to put that in perspective, think about a person who's going to live a longer-than-usual 100 years. To be at the same stage of life as Barnard's star is right now, that person would be a four-month-old infant. So no, Barnard's star isn't remotely dying. If Williamson got the star mostly right, what about the planet? Quite a bit of what he said turns out to be close to the mark there, too. As far as we know, Barnard's star does have a single planet. Like the planet of the Medusae, which Williamson described as many times the size of the Earth, Barnard's star B is over three times the mass of the Earth. Interestingly, Barnard's star was the first star beyond the Sun around which we thought we had discovered a planet. In 1963, Peter Van de Kamp made very precise measurements of the star on photographic plates he'd made from 1938 through 1962. And he noticed that, in addition to moving quickly across the sky, Barnard's star also wobbled back and forth along its line of motion. He attributed the wobble to the gravitational pull of a planet 
tugging back and forth on the stars it orbited, and most astronomers accepted the claim. In 1973, other astronomers tried to replicate Van de Kamp's findings using photographs taken with different telescopes and found no wobble. Around the same time, John Hershey reanalyzed the plates that Van de Kamp had used, finding that not only did Barnard's star wobble, as Van de Kamp had suggested, but so did several other stars. Given the consistent wobble in lots of different stars using one telescope, and given the lack of wobble in any of those stars using other telescopes, Astronomers wondered if there might have been some problem with Van de Kamp's telescope. A careful check of the maintenance records showed that the telescope had had its lenses adjusted in 1949 and again in 1957, accounting for minute shifts in the images made by the telescope that caused Van de Kamp to find a planet orbiting the star. They had no choice but to conclude that the planet didn't actually exist. It wasn't until November 2018 that the actual planet was discovered. Other than the existence of a single planet with a mass higher than Earth's, Williamson didn't really get all that close to reality with the planet of the Medusae. The Legion of Space suggests that their planet had temperatures that were pretty close to those on Earth. There was liquid water in the ocean, and there were jungle plants growing along the shore. But Barnard's star B is considerably colder. It's colder there than on Saturn. And the planet is about four times too far from the star to support life. On top of that, Barnard's star, like Proxima Centauri, is a flare star, emitting enough radiation to make survival on Barnard's star B difficult, even if it were warm enough to support life. The good news is that we don't need to fear Jack Williamson's Medusae. There's no way they could survive on the planet orbiting Barnard's star. The bad news is that we can't live there either, so we'll head for our next new sun, Wolf 359. That's all for this episode of Old Stories of New Suns. You can reach me at oldstoriesofnewsuns at gmail.com or on Twitter at sci-fi travelogue. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about the stars we're visiting. I hope you'll join me next time for another old story about another new sun. <laughs>